0: I'd like you to take your Bibles. We are in the book of John, and we are in chapter 17, continuing with Jesus' prayer, the high priestly prayer, sometimes it is called. And this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 19, John 17, verses 13 through 19. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Before we turn there, I'd like to pray, and uh, then we will stand and read together. So join with me as we pray. Father, we turn our, our hearts and our eyes heavenward just as Jesus did on this night with his disciples and we call out to you for your help. We praise you. We confess our failings. We confess to you that we, we need you desperately and we, we place our hope in you unreservedly because you have given to us all that we need in your son, Jesus Christ. In this prayer that we see, that we are setting now, may we see that even though he was praying for those disciples on that night, he was praying too for us, for he says so. We pray that we might capture the joy and the love and the commitment that he has to us, not just on that night, but every single day of our lives as he continues to intercede for us. So would you open our hearts and our minds to understand the joy that you have for us in this life? Would you open our hearts and our minds to understand our position in Christ and the victory that we have by virtue of our union with him? And would you help us to understand the great call of sanctification through the word of God and truth? that We might proclaim it to the world, fulfilling the mission that you have given to us. We turn to this task this morning and pray that your name would be honored in all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me as we read John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. The word of God is alive active and sharper than any two-edged sword, so give attention please to the reading of his word, John 17, beginning in verse 13, the words of Jesus as he prays. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." sanctify them in truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world I also have sent them into the world for their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth and God's people said amen please be seated We live in hostile territory. We are, in a sense, behind enemy lines because we do have an enemy. And the world in which we live is hostile toward us as believers. Um, we're not destined for this world. We're not meant to be here forever. We are meant to be here now, but we're not destined for a long-term um, living situation in the world in which we live god's plan right now is that we would live in this world and be in this world but one day he will take us out of this world in the meantime he has plans for us while we're here in hebrews 11 that uh, great passage that talks it's the hall of fame of faith and the old testament saints who went before us and demonstrated their faith it says this in 11:15 and 16, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return from whence they came, that is, on this earth. But as it is, they desire a better country, those people of faith, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, for us. We're not destined for this country. It's a great country. This is the greatest country probably ever that was on the face of this earth. But we're destined for something even greater than this. This is not our citizenship. For Paul said this in Philippians 3:20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in hostile territory. We are behind enemy lines, as it were, but we are not of this world. We are we have a a heavenly country, a new city, another citizenship for which we are destined. And Jesus speaks to that in this prayer for us to help us to understand that there is something greater for us. He's leaving us in the world. But in the meantime, we need his help until he does come back. Since it is God's will for us to live in this world to fulfill his mission, he gives us what we need. In fact, this is what we're going to see this morning. Jesus sent us to this world to exhibit his glory, to resist evil, and to live out his truth. He sent us, just as he was sent, we have been sent, we read it, we'll talk about this and. Unpack this, but Jesus sent us to this world to exhibit his joy, resist evil, and live out his truth. Now, Jesus uses the word world 18 times in the prayer. 18 times, that's a lot, isn't it? In our verses this morning, verses 13 through 19, he uses the word world eight times. So this idea of the world not being part of the world, it is very front and center in our passage this morning. He has sent us to this world to exhibit his joy, to resist evil, and to live out his truth. We are in a hostile environment in this world, and he has given us instruction. And I'm going to give you uh, three exhortations this morning for you to live in this hostile territory in which we have been left, in which we have been sent by Jesus himself. And the first of these exhortations is this. Rejoice in the fullness of Christ's joy. It's not a command in here, but it's an exhortation that I'm giving to you because it's something that Jesus says is available to you, his joy. He wants us to exhibit this joy. He's praying, and what he is saying is the very purpose of them listening to the prayers that he is giving to the Father is that they would they would understand His joy and be fulfilled in that joy. He says in verse 13, "But now I come to you." He had said, we just uh, last week where uh, where Caleb left off in verse 12. Jesus said, praying to the father, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you had given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He is stating to the father after he has already said to the father, guard them, keep them, and I have been keeping them, except for this one, and it would be a bit of a downer. We lost one, but it was predicted. It was in the sovereignty of God. It was in the plan of God to lose Judas Iscariot because he was part of the plan itself, the one who would betray the son. But he says in verse 13 then, but now I come to you in these things that I speak in the world. He is speaking to them in the world. Jesus is betwixt and between right now. He is between two worlds. He knows where he is going. But right now he says, I'm saying these things while I'm in the world. And the disciples are listening. They see his eyes lifted up. They hear him praying on behalf of them. And he says that the purpose of these things is these words that I'm saying in the world right now is that they may have my joy made full in themselves. When Jesus prays for us, when Jesus prayed for them, their hearts should have been filled with joy. He loves me. He cares for me. He's praying for me. He has my best interests at heart. He has my back. Uh, This is the third time Jesus has talked about joy being uh, an important part of him going away. In, In chapter 15, verse 11, he said this. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And then in 1624, he said, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. He is continually talking about the importance of joy in the life of his disciples in light of him going away. He doesn't want them to be down and depressed and to drag their feet. He wants them to proceed with joy, a fullness of joy. And he prays for them that they would experience his joy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's his joy that he's, he's asking for. It's his joy that I exhort you to because you may not have joy right now. But this is his joy that he prayed. This is the purpose of these prayers, that they would experience the fullness of his joy. It's not a request, but it is the stated purpose of his very prayers that they would experience his joy. You see, this is a benefit that we enjoy that is ours because Christ prays for us that we can experience his joy. Jesus has your joy in mind. He desires joy in your life. This is something that he wants for you. Is it God's will for you to be joyful? The absolute answer is yes, of course it is. He has your joy in mind. He desires it. And while remaining in this world, we need a joy that is not of this world because the joy of this world is not lasting, is it? The joy of this world is dependent upon circumstances. But the joy of Christ is dependent upon his father and his relationship with him. The joy that is found only in him and that is independent of this world. So some lessons. His joy is your joy. What is his joy? His joy is his relationship with the Father, his pleasing the Father, his doing the will of the Father. That is where he derives joy by being related closely to the Father, having an intimate relationship with him. And as we are related to the Son and we have an intimate relationship with him, we experience his joy because we experience the joy of the Father. His joy is your joy. And he has your joy in mind, and he desires you to have a joyful life. Now, I want you to ask, secondly, a question of yourself right now. Ask this of yourself. Am I experiencing the fullness of Christ's joy? I want you to ask yourself that, honestly. Am I experiencing the fullness of of Christ's joy. If I am not, whose fault is it? And I don't mean to point a finger, but in sense I am. <laughs> I can tell you this, it is not his fault. If you are not experiencing the fullness of his joy, it is not his fault, because he has prayed for, for you for that, and he probably continues to pray for you, for us. Oh, God, give them the fullness of joy. rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice that's a command you know that in in philippians rejoice in the lord it is not dependent upon how you feel it is dependent upon facts the fact of your relationship the fact of, of the fact that he is the source of all joy the joy of the lord of the lord of the lord is our strength not your joy but the joy of the lord is our strength so when you don't have joy where do you go? You go to him. You have to derive your joy from him. And I know you're 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 thinking so I don't really feel joy. I haven't had much joy in my life in a while, particularly this last week or this month or whatever is going on in your life. Where do you go? What do you do? You you go back to your relationship with Christ. Jesus derives joy from his relationship with the Father. You go back to your relationship with him, and you recount that relationship. What is it based upon? It is based upon his grace. It is based upon his love for you. It is based upon his forgiveness for you. It is based upon the fact that he chose you. All of those things are joyful, whether... The circumstances of this world are robbing you of this joy. You can go back and recount that. The reason you do not feel joy and the reason you are not experiencing that joy is because the world has pulled you that way. The hostility of this world in which we live has pulled you that direction. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, all that is in the world... It has pulled you away from what Jesus wants for you, which is the fullness of joy. And you are allowing the circumstances of this hostile world and this environment in which you live to rob you of the joy that God has planned for you. Don't do that, brothers and sisters. Beloved, do not let the world and the enemy of this world rob you of the joy that he wants for you. We see this I say these things, Jesus says, so that my joy would be full in them, in, inside of them, in each and every one of them. And that is what he desires for you. And I exhort you to that. I exhort you to rejoice in the fullness of Christ's joy. Our second exhortation is found in verses 14 through 16. And my second exhortation to you is this. Resist evil by your union in Christ. Because of your relationship with Christ, because of your identity with Christ, because of your union with him by faith, You are protected from the evil one. You are protected from the hostilities of this world. You are protected from all those things that draw you away from that joy. It's up to us to exercise faith. But it is all by virtue of your union, your identity, your relationship, your standing with Christ. Who you are in Christ is the ability by which you are able to resist in the evil day and to stand firm. And how many passages are there in the New Testament that speak of that? He says in verse 14, speaking to the Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Notice the progression. I have given them your word, and the world hates them. I have given them your word, and the world hates them. And the world hates them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know where we start out in this life? In the world. We start out as part of this system this evil system that is run by the the ruler of this world. We start out there. We start out um, captives to our own sin and captives to, to, to the hostility of this world. But as we saw last week, as Caleb showed us, he gave them the word. They accepted the word. They believed in the word. The progression is that when we accept the word that is given to us, We are no longer part of the world. We are changed. We start out as part of the world, but the acceptance of the word here is the same as saying that you believe in Christ. Acceptance of his word is another way of speaking of our redemption. He chose us and he gives us the word. And when we accept the world, something changes. We are no longer part of the world because he is not of the world. Because we are not uh, we're not part of the world because we are now in union with him, we are now in fellowship with him. Our position is now in Christ, therefore we're not in the world. Why are we in Christ? Because of the Word, because of the word that has changed us, our relationship has has changed. We were hated. We are hated rather for his word because the world hates us and hates him. Before, there was a separation between us and God, and it was our sin. And now, because we have accepted Christ, there is a separation between us and the world. Do you see that? Once there was a separation between us and God, that has been taken care of through redemption. But because of that, there is a separation between us and the world. Christ separates us. From the world by virtue of his word and our acceptance of that word. When we receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls, we are changed. We are born again. We are no longer of this world. We are transformed. In fact, Colossians 3.13 says this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You are not who you once were. You were once alienated from God and a friend of the world. You are now a friend of God and alienated from the world. Things have changed. they have been turned upside down by the gospel. That is the the gospel message here where he says... Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so our relationship with Jesus separates us from the world. We, we, we think back of uh, in chapter 15. We looked at this on uh, the Sunday, the church behind the church, and the charge that we gave those who were being baptized. And Jesus said this in chapter 15, 18 through 19. If the world hates you, and this is if the world hates you, it will, and the world does. You know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. If you were still part of the world, they would love you. Hey, good for you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Because of this, the world hates you. Because of your identity with Christ, because of your association with him, because of your union with him and your relationship with him by faith, things have changed between you and the world. Yes, we are to be a friend of sinners, but you are not of the world. That's why the request of Jesus here in verse 15 is this. He says to the Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He's leaving, but he's leaving them in the world. And he knows that they're going to be in hostile territory. He knows how bad it's going to be. He knows that they're going to be hated, but he's praying for them right now. When I leave and I leave them in this hostile world, I'm not asking you, Father, to just, to, to just take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one that is Satan. God's plan is for us to stay behind, he gives us the baton of the mission, and he wants us to represent his son in the same way that he represented the father. And remaining in this world is hazardous to our health, isn't it? It is. It would be easier to just check out, wouldn't it, than to just remain. And it would be easier to escape. What do you do when you're hostile ten- territory behind enemy lines? You evade and you escape, right? That's not our mission. Our mission is to stay and to change lives as we experience His joy, as we resist the evil one. But we are not to blend in. Our, our, our tendency, knowing that we live in this hostile world, is our tendency is to want to get out of here, to escape, and just put ourselves a wall between us and the world. And we don't want to have anything to do with people, just as Christians, just to do the Christian thing. Or the other temptation is just to blend in. I can't, if you can't fight them, join them, right? I'll just become one of them. We face that temptation every single day. Don't. Don't give in because we are meant to remain, but he has given us the protection. We are not able to protect ourselves against the evil one. You don't have what it takes in you. But our union with Christ and his prayers for us change that. Because of our identity with Christ, because of our union with Christ, because we are related to him, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Jesus prays for your protection. We are hated because we are not of the world. And we are protected because we are not of the world. Get that? We're hated because we're not of the world. And we're protected because we are not of the world. He's going to leave us in this hostile territory. And guess what? The enemy doesn't like it. The enemy doesn't like it. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian going along his journey meets Apollyon, which is Satan basically. And um, when he meets Satan, he is. uh, Apollyon says to him, they have this conversation There is no prince that will thus lightly lose his subjects, neither will I as yet lose thee. There is no king that wants to lose his subjects. No king, no ruler wants to lose those who belong to him. And when Satan loses those who belong to him, guess what? He's going to try to keep you. I don't think he knows about your real destination. I don't think he knows of your security in Christ. So he will do everything he can to draw you away because he doesn't like it. He does not like the fact that you have been transferred from the the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. But Jesus is going to leave us in the world, and he is going to leave us in his stead, in his place. So we need, they need, the protection of the father, and they need the protection of the father that they had when the son was with them. He's praying for their protection from the enemy. And then he repeats it again in verse 16, where he says, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You are not of the world in the same sense that Jesus is not of the world. Of course, Jesus is not of the world. But now by virtue of your union with him, you also are not of the world. Our lives are incompatible with the world. The word that he gives us is in diametric opposition to the world. We are in contrast to the world. We are contrary to the world. The world opposes us. But our identity with Christ is different. And by that that identity and that union with him, he protects us. So a lesson. His victory is your victory. The reason you have victory over the evil one, the reason you have victory over sin, the reason you have victory over the world is his victory. Jesus said, take courage, I have overcome the world. Take courage. He prays for you. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to resist based upon your identity and your union with him. Take courage, I have overcome the world. Revelation 12:11 that's seen in heaven and those uh, those tribulation saints. And it says this, and they overcame him, that is Satan, they overcame Satan because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Even faced with death, uh, uh, the threat of the hostility, the hazards of this world, We do not hang on to our lives. We do not give in to the world. Instead, we overcome the evil one in the world in which we live by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that it is faithful and true that we stay connected with him. You think of the Lord's Prayer. Pray it with me if you can. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Protect us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. You are not who you once were. Thank God for that. Are you glad? (laughs) Now you have victory over the world. You have a position. You have standing. You have union with Christ. Your identity is not a sinner. Your your identity is a sinner who is saved. Your identity is beloved. Your identity is redeemed. Your identity is one of great joy. That's how he wants us to live. Our third exhortation, my third exhortation for you this morning is found in 17 through 19. Live for Christ and the truth of His Word. Live for Christ. He prays for our sanctification, but it's not, it's not just a one time thing. He wants us to live lives of holiness, He wants us to live lives that are separated, He wants us to live differently. He wants us to live a certain way. And it is by the truth and the power that only comes from his word. Sanctify them in truth, he prays. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Sanctification is God's work. We get that right off the bat. And the means he uses is his word. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is always God's work. It starts with him. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot change yourself. Sanctification is God's work. And the means that he uses in sanctification is his word. The truth of his word. Now, the meaning of, of sanctify here, we have to understand it in the context. The word sanctify, you've heard it before, means to set something apart. And uh, holiness is the result of that. He wants to make us holy. But to set something apart for a specific purpose, uh, we have, like many of you have, you have china at home, good china that you have sitting in a closet, and you bring it out when? Thanksgiving usually, maybe Christmas, maybe once or twice a year. It's the only time you use it, Right. It is in a sense consecrated, it is special, it has a a unique, a special purpose for that one time. And in the same sense, to sanctify something in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, for instance, to set apart, sanctify a sacrifice, you set it apart, it was consecrated for that one holy purpose. And he sets us apart through redemption for the purpose of our redemption, demonstrating his goodness and his glory in all things. And our lives are to become, by the process of sanctification, holy. That means different, unique, less and less without sin, more and more dependent upon Christ. That is the process of sanctification. And it is his death and his resurrection that sets us apart. So he says, sanctify them. He's praying for his disciples, and he is praying for us as well, in the truth. And he says, your word is truth. What does word refer to? Let's trace it back real quickly in the book of John. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word And the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word. He is the divine logos. He is the ultimate message from God the Father. He is the ultimate truth. In the beginning was the word. And Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth. He is truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, in John's Gospel, we start off understanding that the Logos, the Word, is Jesus Himself. But then elsewhere, He talks about the Word being Moses and the prophets, the writings in chapter 5, and He said, These testify of me. And then throughout the book of John, he talks about the fact that his words are the Father's words. And he had a message to his disciples. And he had a message to the Jews. And that message came through the chosen one, that was him, to them. And so he was speaking all that the Father had given to him. He is the word. You have the Old Testament that is the word. You have Jesus speaking the word. And then in the end of um, chapter 14, Chapter 15, rather, he says the Holy Spirit will come to you and he will help you remember all that I have said to you and he will lead you into all truth. And then the disciples wrote the rest of the the canon. So the word is all of that. It is the person of Christ. It is the proposition of the word. The truth is found in person and proposition in the person of Jesus Christ, and the proposition of his words that were inscripturated. The way of the world is not holiness, is not sanctification. The way of the world is not those things. The natural way of the world is the exact opposite, which is evil, because the world lies, lies in the power of the evil one. But in this case... Sanctify them in truth, he is contrasting that with the world and the evil one, which is unholy. Set them apart. Make them holy. Make them useful. The meaning is clear. We are to live lives that are set apart from the world in contrast to evil. Jesus' disciples are left in this world to live lives that are contrary, that are revolutionary. They have a purpose to become holy like God Himself. It's not a one time event in your life, it is a process where we become by degree to degree more and more like Jesus Christ. We slough off more and more of sin. We become more and more holy. We become more and more righteous and godly. And Jesus says in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. This is important in this text. He says, I have sent them into the world. He hasn't done that yet. This is what we call, uh, this is a rhetorical device called called prolipsis, where you speak of something that hasn't happened yet as already having happened. Because it is certain. In the mind of God, it is certain. It will happen in chapter 20. He is going to send them. And so he's saying, I've sent them into the world. And he has. He has sent them into the world Just as he was sent. You see how throughout this, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I have sent them into the world as I was sent into the world. The things that are true of Jesus are true of you. Again, that great identity, that union that we have with him. And we are sent with the same mission. Christ's mission is our mission. Write it down. Christ's mission is our mission. What was his mission? To bring glory to God, to bring sinners to Jesus, to bring Christians to maturity. That was his mission, and that is our mission. As I was sent into the world for these things, he says to the Father, I have sent them with the same purpose, to bring glory to you, to bring sinners to you, to bring sinners who are saints to maturity to make them holy like Christ. Jesus has handed us the baton of the mission of the gospel, and he's given us sufficient resources to do that. And then verse 19, don't miss what he's saying here. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may themselves also be sanctified in truth. In what sense does Jesus sanctify himself? Isn't he already sanctified? Isn't he already holy? Yes, he is. He's talking about the elemental meaning of the word sanctify, which is to set apart. And he's saying here, I'm setting myself apart unto death. That's what he's saying. For their sakes. We'll get into the the the, the grammar here, but it's it's very clear. What he's saying is, I am being sanctified on their behalf. Speaking of the substitutionary atonement, I am dying in their place. I am giving myself for them that they might be sanctified. I will give up my life for their life. I will die for them that they might be sanctified and made holy. I will give this up for the joy sent before me. And I will despise the shame and and all the degradation because he's looking forward to what it will accomplish for their sakes, for your sakes. Christ dies in your place. He takes your sin. It's the gospel message in verse 19. It is his voluntary giving of himself as the price of redemption in obedience to the Father's will. That's what he means when he says, I'm sanctifying myself so that they will be sanctified. His sanctification is our sanctification. Got that? There is no sanctification apart from him and there is no sanctification apart from his word. It's from him And it's by his word. A lesson. Obtain your daily joy, your identity, and your growth from the person of Christ and the word of Christ. Hold this dear, please. Hold this dear, the This is how we know all that we're talking about today. This is how we know it's true. This is how we know our Lord. Because he has given us, he is the the divine word. He is the, the word of God incarnate. He is the spoken word. He has given us his word. And that word is implanted in our hearts, able to save our souls. And he lives within you. The word of Christ is in you. And that's how you can understand this. Don't neglect this. Don't let this become dusty on a shelf. Don't make this an every other week endeavor or even an every other day endeavor. To whatever extent you can, pursue to understand, to grow, to, to, to live by the word on a daily basis. You can't live on the bread that you ate yesterday. And you cannot live on yesterday's bread as well. Give us this day our daily bread. Help us to feed upon his word. So obtain your daily joy from him. God's word in all of its forms, the person of Christ, the propositions of Christ in the word of God. Do not neglect. Daily delve into it. And the next lesson is this. His life is your life. You have life because of him. His life for your life, that's the gospel. He was sanctified for your sake, that you might be sanctified, that you might become holy. That is the reason he did it. So going back to the beginning of where we started this morning, Jesus sent us into this world to exhibit his joy, to live it, to experience it, to resist evil because we are in hostile territory and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one and to live out his truth. It doesn't just, this is the sanctification. This is our life is built upon the holiness of Christ and our pursuit is to be like him, the pursuit of holiness. Exhibit his joy, resist evil and live out his truth and he's given you all that you need to do that. His joy is your joy. His victory is your victory. And his life is your life. So when he says, for their sakes I sanctify myself, communion is a way for us to understand that we are declaring that we do not deserve this life. We do not deserve this union, this standing. We do not deserve anything anything that he has to offer us the protection of the hostile world in which we live, but he gives it to us by his grace because of his great love for us. When we partake of the, the, the bread, O word of God incarnate, he became one of us. In the beginning was the word and the word was With God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived in a human body. He really dwelt on this earth. And he washed our sins away. He redeemed us. He was sanctified. This is cleansing blood. It represents that. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because it is his life for your life. His life for your life. So I want you to hold on to this while the music team comes up. And let me pray for the bread and the cup. And are we going to sing one song? Okay. And then we'll partake. Father, we're grateful for giving to us your son, Jesus Christ, and a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Thank you for sending us into this world to live out that joy, and may we do so by virtue of what this bread and cup represents. God, may we, by faith, resist evil in the world and stand firm in in faith, knowing that we do not struggle against flesh and blood but that you have defeated this world and you have overcome the world, and we can be of good courage. And help us to live out this sanctifying truth. May we become more like Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. So, Father, as we sing and as we participate in this bread and this cup this morning, we do so with great joy. We give you thanks for what it has accomplished. We pray these things in his name. Amen.